So for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Adam. I am, uh, I am a pastor. Uh, I am, I'm ordained. I'm Christy's husband. Uh, so maybe you know who, who she is. I'm also the mayor of Kid City. And so um, <laughs> Kid City is our children's ministry. And uh, as soon as I took over leadership of that position, I gave myself an audacious title. So I am the mayor of, of Kid City. Uh, don't worry, they're in good hands back there. We've got a fantastic team that is, that is serving back there. Uh, Pastor Christie's actually gone this morning, so uh, just to let you know kind of where, where she's at. She's with her, um, with her sisters and her mom in Florida, rough life. Uh, they gave her mom just this, uh, this time together as a, as a gift for her birthday, and so they're, they're hanging out, out there. Also, Pastor Josh uh, is, is gone this morning as, as well. I just want to let you know where, where he's at. Um, he was supposed to be here, but his flight got canceled, so he's getting in later later this afternoon. That's not the reason why I'm up here. I planned on I'm preaching this morning, and so I'm, I'm ready, to, ready to go. So I've been in this interesting spot right now where I have been, uh, you know, co-lead pastor at, at City Life, and um, now I'm not. Um, but I am a believer in, in Jesus, and I, I love him very much. But it's opened up some just... In, opportunities for interesting conversations with with people that I uh, maybe have already known or am am getting to to know. Because we're in this kind of moment right now as the church in Grand Rapids, certainly, but also just in America, in in the Western world, that is just, things are shifting in a significant way. Have have any of you sensed that there's just some shifts happening culturally and in the the church um, in the last few years? Okay, a few, a few of you have. Like, you're, you're kind of noticing, hey, something seems a bit, a bit different here. There's, there's been a shift that is, that is, that is happening. And so um, I have had the opportunity to connect with several pastors now who have been in ministry, and they're, they're just figuring out, um, you know, what's, what's next. And maybe I shared with you last time I was up here about a conversation I had with a very good friend of mine who had lunch with me, and he said, hey, Adam, I just want to know, like, where, where are you at right now? Do you you know, you're not in ministry, like, are you, are you frustrated with the church, like, or you're not in ministry in the same way, at least, I am in ministry, you're not in ministry in the same way, at least, are you, are you frustrated with the church, are you part of this shift that's, that's happening, and um, in my conversation with him, I just said, you know, uh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not there, like, I know that lots of people are, are questioning their, their faith right now, and I, I know that lots of people are, are, are having frustrations with, with the church, um, I just believe that, that Jesus is the only way forward, and that he does bring life that is real and authentic and eternal. And uh, all eggs in that basket, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus, and I'm with his church. I love his church, and I, I, I want, and I, I believe that um, what God wants to do th- in this world, he wants to do through his, uh, his real church. And so I'm, 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 I'm with the church. I'm not stepping back from that. I'm leaning in to those relationships, both with Jesus and with, with brothers and, and, and sisters, which is kind of exactly where we're at in the, as we're going through the, the book of, of 1 John, where John over and over again in this, in this book is saying, look, it is about loving God. It is about loving your Christian brother and, and, and sister. It's about believing some, some things about um, who God is and what he's doing in this, this, this world and, and trusting that God is, is going to, to make a way when we can't that God is going to do something in our lives that we couldn't possibly do on, on our own. Well, I had a second conversation uh, not that long ago, just a, a few weeks ago, 
with um, another person who was a pastor, and he's, he's now serving in, uh, with, with a nonprofit that's doing really good faith-based work. And um, he shared with me just a little bit about his relationship with the Lord. He was a pastor in, in uh, Washington, D.C., and this sort of core neighborhood uh, community, all in, planted a, planted a church, um, had a just beautiful run of, of ministry, and then um, was just hurt deeply by the, by the church that he was, was serving. And, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't work out for him. Like, it was, it was just a hard exit at, at the end. And he said that because of that, uh, and because of just kind of where we're at right now as, as a culture, it's like, I just really questioned everything. I questioned everything. I questioned my faith in Jesus. I questioned what is my relationship with, with the church. He said, I didn't even go to church for, for, for months because I couldn't, I, I just had such deep angst about where I was with, in my relationship with, with God, and I just didn't know what to, what to believe. And um, he said uh, that, uh, that graciously God just worked with him in that, in that process, and that, uh, that he started to experience some healing um, in, his, in his life. And he said, uh, I, I went from just really questioning, is, is Jesus really the way? or the only way, um, to, to really having a, a faith that looks like the faith that the apostles would have had. Like he said, I can affirm um, the same beliefs that the church has had for the last two, 2,000, 2000 years. And um, as he kind of made this transition, kind of stepping away from centering his life on, on Jesus to stepping back to centering his life on, on who Jesus is, I said, well, how did you like come to that? You know, what were the thought processes? What brought you from a place of, of really questioning everything to uh, a, a place of having security, of knowing, of having certainty that Jesus is, is the way and that you're going to put all of your eggs in that basket? What brought you from, from point A to point B on that? And he said, you know, like I, he said there was a lot of kind of internal stuff that I was doing. I was thinking a lot. I was, I was praying a lot. Um, but also there was just the kindness of, of Christians who helped me along in the, in the journey and um, who taught me or who just really reestablished a uh, security in the basic truths of, of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world and how he works in human, human lives, not just 2,000 years ago, but, but today. And... Um, he said, I had to go from a place of, of kind of figuring everything out on my own and thinking that I needed to just kind of think through a logical process to get there on, on my own to receiving something that was outside of myself. I want you to catch that. He had to receive something that was outside of himself, not his own thoughts, not based on uh, the authority of his own life to determine uh, what, what was true and what was not true. He said, I had to receive something that was outside of myself. I had to inherit something that was not my own. And so, um, part of uh, why I love children's ministry is because our faith is inherited. 
there's this unbroken chain of disciples who walked with Jesus, who made, who walked with him. I mean, I mean, in his earthly ministry, who uh, spent time with him face to, to, to face, who saw his miracles, who um, who saw his his resurrection, who who, who saw his, his crucifixion, who um, saw him after the, the, the resurrection. There are disciples who walked with Jesus in his earthly ministry, saw him ascend into heaven. And then there's all of these disciples that come after those first disciples who become disciples of Jesus as they inherit a faith from their predecessors. And that has happened generation after generation after generation for the last 2,000 years. I mean, Jesus predicted this when, when he said, um, you know, blessed are you who have faith because you see. He's talking to his first disciples. But blessed even more are people who have faith who have not seen. That He's talking about us, right? We're part of this unbroken chain of inheriting a faith in, in Jesus from generation to, to generation. And when I think about Kids City, I think, this is, we are handing as, you know, older uh, people, we're, we're, we're helping younger people to inherit this faith that has come from generation to generation. And these kids that are in Kid City, they are missionaries that we are sending into the future to sh- share the faith with the next generation, a generation that perhaps you and I as adults will never, will never see. There's this unbroken chain of inheriting a faith, not figuring it out on our own, not, not coming to our own conclusions, but inheriting this, this uh, belief in, in, in Jesus. John is writing to a, to a church that is similarly in this place of, of questioning. He wants to give them uh, assurance. He wants to help them, uh, help them through a, a season that is, is painful and is causing a lot of un- uncertainty. And so as he writes, he's trying to write with just clarity on, on what it is that, that Jesus is, a, is about. And so uh, as I've read through the, the book of, of John, there's a, just a few key themes that just keep coming up over and over in, in the book of, of 1 John. And they, they go like this. Love, sin. Light, dark. Truth, lies. Life, death. Christ, antichrist. We're going to talk about that in just a, just a minute. Children of God, children of, of the devil. Confidence, fear. Belonging to God, belonging to the world. Believe or do not believe. Loving your siblings in Christ or rejecting your siblings in, in, in Christ. John has this two-category thing that he's doing throughout the, the entire book, these opposites that he keeps highlighting. He's saying, look, um, there are some things that do not go with these other things. So each of, those, each of those rows, there are two qualities that are opposed to one another. They, they don't go together. They cannot coexist. Light cannot coexist with, with darkness. Life cannot coexist with death. Confidence cannot coexist with, with fear. Belonging to God cannot coexist with belonging to, to the world. He's saying there are two separate things. He's trying to, to, he's drawing a line in the sand. 
there, there, there are two things that cannot coexist. And he's saying, in each column, there are certain things that must go together. And so love and light and truth and life must go with Christ. They, they flow from, from Christ. This is who God is. God is light, and in him there is, there is no darkness. A, a love of God must go with the love of, of your Christian siblings, the love of your, your brother and, and sisters. They must coexist together. They feed off of each other. If you don't love your brother and sister, John questions, do you really love God? And, and he says that if you really love your brother and sister, then you're going to obey God because, uh, because for John, Jesus is the word of, of life. And so if he gives a, a command, it is a command that leads to life. These certain things must coexist together. Certain things must be kept apart, but these things, they must coexist together. They support each other. They're mutually supportive of one another. They flow from one another. John's trying to build security, confidence in this, this community that their faith, the faith that has been part of generations in the, in the past is, is true. I was talking with my father-in-law about uh, just I've been reading and reading the book of First John. Christy told us to, to read the, the, the book of First John and read it a few times. I think I've read it 25 times since she's given that, that challenge. It's a quick book. It's only five chapters, and they're short chapters. They're not like novel chapters. They're just, it's a, it's a quick, quick read. And I've just been reading it over and over again. And I talked to my father-in-law about it, and he said, as you read through the book of First John, circle every time you see the word no, like K-N-O-E, like you know something. Circle every time you see the, the word no. 33 times in this short book in, in 1 John. John, the, the writer of 1 John, is trying to instill confidence in, in, in the church. He's trying to help a church who's living in uncertain times, and we're going to talk about just kind of where church was at in that point in, in history, that's, that's in uncertain times. He's trying to help them know that Jesus really is the way and that it's okay to put all of their eggs in in that basket. If I were to sum up um, just sort of the overlapping uh, support systems for, for this, this faith, all those different no phrases, I might, I might talk about them in this way. I might talk about them in terms of belief, behavior, and belonging. And so um, belief is really important to, to John. As he's writing to the church, you've got to believe the right things uh, uh, about Jesus. And so First John 3.23 says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the spirit that he gave us. So belief in the right things, a belief that's directed not just by our, ourselves, but by the spirit that he's, he's given us, that's really important to John. Behavior is really important to John. So John really believes that if you have a, a real relationship with Jesus, that your life is actually transformed, that uh, Jesus came to reforge humanity in the fire of his own, own suffering. And so John says that the people who have a real faith in, in Jesus, they can have confidence in that because they see that their lives are actually transformed. So behavior. So 1 John 2, 5 and six say this, this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. We're, we're transformed actually into something that looks different from a, a humanity that has been warped and fallen and, 
and we look like the, the person of, of Jesus himself. So belief, behavior, and then belonging is really important to, to John. And by, law, by belonging, I mean John seems to have this worldview that says, if God is your father, then you have brothers and sisters in Christ. You have siblings in God's family, and you can't separate love from God for, from love for your Christian brother and, and, and sister. And so uh, belonging is super important to, 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 to the author of the book of 1 John. Um, and we'll talk about just like who wrote this, this book in just a second. Um, but 1 John 3.10 says, this is how we know that we are children of, of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister in, in, in Christ. And so belief, behavior, and belonging— I was charged with, uh, with sharing a message with you this morning about like, how we can have confidence in, in Christ. And I wanted to come to 1 John and say, um, you know, if you do A plus B, then this is how you have confidence in, in, in Christ. But John seems to have this sort of, I wanted to have this sort of logical, like, lock it up thing, thing to say to you. But first, the writer of 1 John seems to say um, all these things are mutually supportive. Like, you have to have all of them. In, in, in place. And so, you know, it seems like at one point John's saying, look, if you love God, then you're going to love your brother and sister. And then later on, he says, look, if you, if you love your brother and sister, then, man, you're going to do what Jesus told you, told you to do. They're, they're mutually supportive. It's not, I can't drive it in this sort of, I can't create a logic machine for you and say, all right, you dump in your own thoughts at the top and you work it through this logic machine, and that's how you know that you are a, a follower of Jesus. There are these mutually supportive things um, that, that, are, that are at play. It's kind of like how growing things work, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if any of you are getting ready to start a garden, um, but I always try to grow tomatoes, and what I grow is, like, green leafy tomato plants. I don't actually grow tomatoes <laughs> because uh, I plant them in the ground, and I let the rain water them. <laughs> and so, like, tomato, to get actual tomatoes, then I need, like, both soil and water, and I need to, to, to weed. Well, I just do one of those things, <laughs> and so, uh, but I need all of those things in order to have, like, a real producing tomato plant. Um, it's like that with our Christian lives, too. These things are part of a world together. They're part of a world together. They support one another. That's where life, life comes from. So why is John just so keyed in on building confidence in this in this church i keep calling him john i keep calling him john the book is actually anonymous like no nowhere in the in the book does it say that john wrote it but i think it's john and so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about that just for just a second um First John, it's technically anonymous, but the early church has always assumed that it was John who wrote this book. The same, the same guy who wrote the, the fourth gospel, like the book of, of John, which is also anonymous. Um, and we think that the guy who wrote the fourth gospel, the book of John, is this guy who kind of calls himself in that book the beloved, right? The, the beloved disciple, the one that Jesus... Jesus loves, and so he's kind of like hinting at, at who, who he might be. Um, but everyone 
from early on in, in church history, he's like, nah, it's John. You know, he doesn't put his name on it, but we know it's John. And um, I don't think that we have any reason to, to believe differently about this. And so um, when we meet this character of, of John, he's, he's one of the young disciples. He's one of the, the disciples that starts following Jesus, but he's, he's really young. And I, I can imagine him as a, as a young man starting to follow Jesus who in his early 30s probably seemed old to John, right? Like he's looking up to this guy who seems, I remember when I was a teenager and I had a mentor who was in his like early 30s, I'm like, oh, this guy's kind of old, you know? Um, that, that young John probably looked up to Jesus and thought, man, he's amazing. Like I'm seeing him do all these, these great things, but he's also kind of old. And so I, he's this young disciple uh, that we, we read about in the, in, in the book of, of John. He's, he's someone who's ex- actually experienced Jesus. He's seen miracles. He's, um, he's been called by, by Jesus. He has, he's uh, walked with Jesus, like literally not just in his lifestyle, but like he's traveled with Jesus from, from place, to, place to place. He's eaten with, with Jesus. And if we're, reading the, if we're reading the book of John right, then uh, he's also at the cross of Jesus, and he sees him die. He's the one that Jesus says uh, to, to his mother. Uh, he says, turn to, turn to John. And says, look, this is, this is your son. He'll take care of you. Like, that, he saw the resurrection. This, this is a, a John who's experienced the earthly ministry of, of Jesus as a young man. Well, by the time he writes first and second and third John, maybe Revelation, he's an old man. And he's seen the, the church go from a group of disciples who are walking in the earthly, with, in the earth, like during the earthly ministry of, of Jesus. They're having this face-to-face relationship with Jesus. He's seen the church go from that. He's seen the early part of the, the, the book of Acts when the gospel just explodes onto the scene. Thousands of people are coming to, to faith. Not just Jewish folks who are kind of, you know, God has set them up in order to, to receive their, their, their Messiah. He's seen people who, um, you know, were, were pagans before, people who were worshiping Zeus or, or Aphrodite or, or just multiple local gods. Um, he's seen people like that come into faith, like pagans come into to faith in, in Jesus. He's seen the gospel just explode over the, the face of, of, of the earth. And now he's an old man. And presumably he's writing from Ephesus. Presumably he's kind of a bishop at this point. He's, he's overseeing multiple multiple churches. He's an old man, and there's this new sense of just where the, the church is at in, in, in history. And John, at this point in history, as an old man, still a man on fire, still a man who, who loves God with all of his, his heart, he senses that there is um, something amiss. There's a shift that's going on in the, in the church of, of, of Jesus. And He's seen a second generation of Jesus followers start following Jesus and a third generation, maybe a fourth generation of, of Jesus followers. And they're no longer coming to faith sort of as, you know, maybe some of them are, but they're, they're not coming out of just this pagan world into this uh, newfound relationship with Jesus. It's, it's people who are just questioning, who've maybe heard the gospel before and they're questioning, man, is this Jesus really who, who John says he is? And there's been a group of people within these churches that John is overseeing that has left the church. 
There, there's a group of people, they believe something different about Jesus. They don't necessarily, if I'm reading the book of 1 John correctly, they're, they're, they don't really believe that Jesus is the only way to, to the Father. If I'm reading 2 John correctly, they're not really sure that Jesus is an actual person, like maybe he's some sort of spiritual being, but he didn't come in the, in the flesh. They're starting to believe some things that are just different about who, who Jesus is, and they separate out from the church. There's an exodus from John's church, the, the churches in the region, presumably. There's this exodus of people who believe some different things about who Jesus is, and they've exodus, exited the, the church. And in John's church, I, I'm guessing that there's just this sense of shaken confidence for people who have, have, who've remained. That they're like, man, am, am I... Should I just keep following this Jesus that we're all worshiping together? Or like, do, do they have it right? There's a sense of, of shaking confidence. I think that 1 John might be a timely book for us because I think similarly, we're in this place of just sort of, sh- our confidence might be shaken a little bit because at least in most of the Western world right now, there's been this sort of shift of people exiting the, the church who maybe even have, like maybe they're still claiming Jesus, but it, it's, it's a Jesus that looks different than the Jesus of, of the historic faith. And in fact, um, this is the statistic that is uh, current, um, and this is post-COVID, and yet I think most of us are saying, look, it's not just COVID, it's not just a pandemic. There, there's, a, there's a cultural shift, there's a faith shift that's happening in the in the church. Um, this is the, the current um, statistics regarding that. It's 30-40-30. So uh, what we're seeing across the Western world, the United States, Europe, uh, um, you know, Australia, uh, the church in the global south is still on fire, thank the Lord. Um, but what we're seeing is like 30% have left the church. And maybe they're still claiming Jesus, but it's kind of like a different way of talking about Jesus than the church has typically talked about about Jesus. 30 people have left the church and there's n- have no plan of coming back. 40% come back maybe once a month. They're just kind of like nominally involved, like still, still connected, but they're unsure um, if they're going to be all in. And then 30% are doubling down. Like they're like, Jesus is the only way. We're going to follow him. Um, we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to, figure out what it means to actually follow Jesus in this, in this season. And I can't help but see the parallel between where John must have been as an old man talking to, to his churches and where we're at uh, currently in this, uh, this cultural moment. And so John, this old man who walked with Jesus, sees this shift in, in the churches. And John starts his letter by saying this. He says, Look, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and we testify to it. The we here, John, initially, like later on, he starts changing it from we to I, but here, he's presumably talking about himself and those early first disciples. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you 
what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I imagine this John. John is a man on fire from early on in his discipleship relationship with Jesus to an old man. We see this person who's just full of the love of God for uh, God the Father and for his, his Christian brothers and, and, and sisters. Um, we see this John uh, saying to people who are like, ah, you know, Jesus might be a little bit different than we thought he was. John's saying, look, you've heard about Jesus. You've heard the stories of Jesus. I know what Jesus smells like. He's like, I have a first-hand experience with the earthly ministry of Jesus. And this old man, John, is saying, look, as a younger man, I walked with him. I know what he's like. And the faith that you put in this Jesus is worth it. Start to finish. Follow him. Put all of your eggs in that basket. Have full confidence that Jesus will complete in you what he started in you. It will be Jesus who does it from start to, to, to finish. Um, don't give up on who, who, who we are telling you uh, Jesus is. We have this John who is saying, look, I was there. I know um, you weren't. But let me tell you, it is worth putting your, your, your faith in, in this Jesus. There's a, uh, there's a sociologist who's not a Christian. He's a Jewish sociologist. Um, I'm not even sure if he's a practicing, um, practicing Jew, but he's a phenomenal sociologist. Uh, his name is Philip Reif, and he explains sort of the cultural shifts that sometimes happen uh, as um, people put their faith in, in God. And he says that the first culture is what we'll call the pre-Christian culture. He doesn't call it a pre-Christian culture because he's Jewish, but um, we're going we're gonna to lean into it in that, in that way. He says the first culture, it's characterized by, by myths. So these cultures are accountable to, to a sacred order, but it's around a local god. And so, um, like, think the Roman gods or uh, goddesses or, like, Norse gods or Osiris in Egypt or something like that. There are localized gods that, um, that people follow. And he says... He says that the key to sort of how this social order works is there's this idea of fate. Like, the gods just, you know, fate happens, and uh, there's, the history's not going anywhere. Just, you know, what happens, happens. And uh, many of the, that's where we're at at the beginning of the book of Acts. So the gospel goes out um, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, and uh, people are coming to, to faith out of this sort of first culture. He said the second culture, we'll call the Christian culture. He doesn't. He would call it just sort of monotheistic culture. Um, he says it's characterized by faith. So there's a specific divine and sovereign deity. The social order or cultural codes align with that, that faith. Um, second culture would be people who um, maybe have grown up in the, in the church, and there's this sort of shared understanding of, of who God is. Uh, culture never gets this right. Christian is always supposed to be a noun and not an adjective. Um, but there is a sense of, you know, society is holding together based on this, on this, on this faith. And Christianity has been just really strong in this throughout the, the, the world, and so it's transformed uh, much of, of, of the world in, in that way. Uh, Philip Reif says there's actually a third culture, a post-Christian culture, 
And it's not a return to pre-Christian culture, but it's a reaction against, um, against that. And so this culture, it may have a strict ethical code, but it's based on uh, what's happening in the world and not on anything outside the world, not based on, on, on God. And so this culture may seek to bring about moral people or a just society, but it redefines what is moral and just. The only authority is found in, in the individual. It's kind of like we're figuring, out a, we're figuring out life on our own. We maybe have a strict ethical code. We actually think that history is going somewhere. We want to be part of, part of that, but it's not based on anything that God would do in us and, th- and through us. Mark Sayers, who is a pastor in Australia, uh, talks about it this way. He says that post-Christian cultures are an attempt to continue the Christian project, but without Christ. It's seeking the kingdom without the, the king. It's trying to produce a just society and moral people without the transforming work of, of God at work in and, and, through, and through people. I think that where John is at at this point in, in, with his, his churches is very much this sort of post-Christian. Like, John's been through all of these seasons, right? Like, he's seen people come to, come, come to faith out of a first culture. He's been part of a, a church that's believed in Christ. Now he's in this, this place of, of um, seeing people leave his, his church, not, for, not back to the old gods, but back to something that's sort of like pseudo-Christian. And the word that John uses for that is antichrist. Now, I don't know what you've heard about antichrist, um, but it's not, it's not as weird as people talk about it. <laughs> um, I, I just read a PBS article on it just, just recently, and the, the PBS article said, Something like it's this supernatural being that's going to to come and uh, oppose oppose Jesus in in the last days, and um, they're talking about how it's found in the book of Revelation. It's n- that word is not found in the book of Revelation. It's only found in First John and in Second John. That's the only place in the Bible where you see Antichrist. John is setting up this um, this uh, way of thinking about things. Like he's saying, look, there's Jesus, and then there's people who are who are reacting against who are saying Jesus is. There, there's Jesus versus not, you know, Zeus or Osiris or any of the old gods. It's not Jesus versus them. It's Jesus versus Jesus-ish is where John is at. Jesus versus Jesus-ish. And so John, when he talks about Antichrist, he's not saying, like, there are people who are actually against Jesus. There are people who actually maybe claim Jesus. Maybe there's this Christian veneer over, over what they do, but they're Jesus-ish. Like they're, they're leaving out all of, all of who Jesus is. They're kind of creating a Jesus-ish um, way of, of doing things. So John feels no competition. I mean, we, we feel no competition as, as Christians. Like how many of us are like, man, I, was, I just really, I, I'm worried about people who follow Zeus and, and Aphrodite and um, you know, Neptune, uh, we don't, like, we make comic book heroes out of that, and we let our kids watch it, <laughs> because we, we feel no threats to the old God, from, from the old gods, but I think that we should, in this cultural moment, feel threatened between Jesus and Jesus-ish ideas uh, of, of uh, doing faith, and so John talks about Christ versus Antichrist, I just want to read this, this passage of scripture because he's not talking about something that is weird and that we can't wrap our, our minds around. He's talking about people who are um, kind of opposing what John is teaching them about, about Christ. 
So 1 John 2, 18 says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. So many people who are teaching something Jesus-ish, but not really Jesus, have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Later on in the book of, of John, this, uh, that's from chapter 2, later on in chapter 4, the, this word comes up uh, uh, again. So 1 John 4, 1 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. People who are claiming to be prophets, and yet they're saying something different than the historic faith. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus does not acknowledge Jesus, is not from God. I want to pause there and just, just say this. I'm guessing that this is like one of the things that, um, that is, is one of the teachings around the church. So I, I don't think that the way to actually test whether, like now, whether a prophet is true or false is, is if the prophet's able to say, Jesus came in the flesh, then everything that they say is true. I'm guessing that this is like one of the, one of the things that was Jesus-ish. They're like, yeah, there's, there's this Jesus person, but he was just maybe a spirit, but he wasn't actually a human. He didn't come to actually reforge humanity. It doesn't, he's sort of separate from uh, humanity in, in that way. There's some weird teaching about Jesus that John's trying to correct. He's saying, look, if they say that, don't believe them. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. This is just movement, the spirit of the Antichrist that's already in the, in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. I think, I think, and I know, I know this isn't always true, but I think we're in this moment right now as, as a church where it's, it's no longer like, I don't know, when I was a kid, I'd get really excited when like a Satanist would like start following Jesus. Does anyone... Like, remember, like, oh, man, like, this, this rock star who's a Satanist, all of a sudden he's following Jesus, and I think the church would get really excited about that, as we should. But I think we're in this cultural moment in which um, we have to kind of discern, are we really following Jesus? Like, does our, does our faith look like the faith 
of the first century believers, or are we following something that's Jesus-ish? Something that doesn't rely on the real Jesus for transforming, transforming power. I think that we're in this, in this cultural moment now, and I think that the, the way forward is through the folks that are doubling down and saying, look, we are going to continue to seek God. We want to be a man on f- men and women on fire like John was a person on, on fire, and we want to see God do a fresh move of his spirit in our, our generation. Marking, come on up. I think that we're, I'm no prophet. I'm not, I just, I believe that Jesus is real and that um, Jesus is going to uh, not let humanity continue in falsehood and that uh, Jesus wants to do a a, a fresh work uh, among us. And I think that there has to be a coming moment in which um, God's Spirit does something fresh, that there's a, a renewal of, of the church. Like what we've seen in times, in, in, in times past in church history, I think that um, there's just going to be a, a fresh movement of the, the Spirit. And that fresh movement, that revival, I think it often comes through what the Bible would call the remnant. A group of people who've said, look, we're, we're not going to go, we're not just going to base our faith on what the world tells us to base our, our faith on. We're going to, we're going to follow the authentic Jesus. So we're going to um, spend time in prayer. We're going to seek God's word. We're going to allow his power to transform us. And the, I don't think these folks are just spiritual giants either. I think they're people who've come to such a place of brokenness that um, they say, look, I can't do it on my own. I can't figure it out on my own. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. And so they put all their faith in Jesus. And then Jesus does a, a, a work through them. I think that's where we're at right now as a church. I've come to believe that a fresh movement of the Spirit is possible in our generation. And that God uses a core group of people with a, with a vibrant faith. And I just want to be around the church when that happens. Like, that's been the, the cry of my heart vocationally. Lately, I, I recently talked with our um, district superintendent, and, or Chris Conrad, and just said, hey, like, I just want to be around the church when, when God's spirit breathes something fresh in, into, the, into the church. I want to be there for that. I, wa- I want to have confidence now so that when that day comes, I'm able to say, yes, Jesus, you're doing what you said you were, were going to do. I, I want to be there for um, what it is that, that Jesus, Jesus has for us. Because I truly believe that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. That um, what we experience now is the as believers, um, can look like what the first generation of Jesus followers experienced. That there may be clarity that comes to, to the church in a way that gives us even greater confidence in who this Jesus is and what he might do 
in our lives and in the lives of our children that somehow the work of Jesus on the cross makes a difference in our daily lives. That his death and resurrection actually reforge humanity that help us that helps us become everything that God has, has wanted us to do. The giving of his spirit, the empowerment that comes from being in, in relationship with him. And so uh, I just want to call believers to double down. Like put your faith in him deeply. Follow him fervently. Like pray hard. Seek the scriptures. Inherit something outside of yourself. Don't figure it out on your own. Don't let the world tell you how to live your, your, your faith. Be weird in a world that is becoming um, more and more anti-Christ. And so we remember this good news of, of Jesus with his broken bread representing his body broken for us. And this poured out cup representing the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of sins. When you're ready, come and break off a piece of the bread. Well, I'll break it off, I guess. Um, and so will the other folks serving communion. Come, I'll break off a piece of bread. I'll dip it in the cup. I'll give it to you. And you'll remember who Jesus is. The one who came in the flesh to reforge humanity through his own suffering, who rose from the dead in order to give us new life, who sent his spirit, and who is coming again. Body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. body of Jesus broken for you 
and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Sunday. This is Jesus' body broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Holly, this is the body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Pardon? Can you do some for Graham too? Yes. Graham, taste and see that the Lord is good. Adam, this is the body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Eric, this is the body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Nate, this is the body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. As you leave this place, have confidence in who Jesus is and stick with him thick or thin. Now glory be to God who by his mighty power